The psalmist calls us to worship in Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you people. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone, and welcome this morning as we have another service in, uh, in our live stream format. We pray that as you uh, gather wherever you may be, whether it be at home here in Bundaberg, whether you are watching from around the world, or listening on our podcasts at a later stage, welcome to you. May you know that you are blessed. May you know that God's Spirit binds us together, and that as we hear God's Word, He will minister to us as His Holy Spirit is above and beyond all time and space. Welcome to you. If you uh, would like to take a moment, drop a comment in the, uh, in the comments bar. Let us know where you're watching from. Um, say good day. Put in a reaction or a, a little smiley face or something like that. And feel free to do that throughout the service. It would be great to have that interaction. And we try and get to those comments. If not today, then we, we look to get to them through the week. So please uh, take a moment and engage with us. It's part of what the live stream is all about. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. If you are watching with somebody, please take a moment and pass God's peace to them as well. Bless them with, uh, with that wonderful greeting of God's peace in their lives. If you are watching alone, know that I have said it to you. And uh, feel free to, to find out if there is someone who you may want to watch with next Sunday morning. Gather together with some friends. Let us come before God in prayer. Almighty God, we rejoice this morning that the peace of the Lord is something which can be known to each of us. In uh, this year, which has been a year like no other, where we have faced so many different challenges and difficulties and, and the world is in, great, in such great turmoil. We thank you that in amongst all of those things, we can know the peace of God resting on our lives. For you are above all external circumstances. You are, your knowledge exceeds anything that we know. You are aware of everything that is going on and so much more which we don't, which we don't see. And over all these things, Lord God, we want to pray your peace. We want to pray the sense of, of the Spirit of God to come into not only this place, not only into our lives, but over this whole world. We thank you, Lord God, that you are a God who is interested and who is part of these things. A God who engages, a God who is in a personal relationship with us. You are not detached and removed you are not indifferent to what is going on, but you are aware of every thought, feeling, and emotion. You're aware of our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And for this, Lord, we praise you. We thank you that Jesus has journeyed through this life, understanding our temptations and our hardships, knowing our fears and our emotions, aware of the things that we face. We thank you, Jesus Christ, that your love for us is so great that it led you to the cross, enabling us to come to the Father without an intermediary or without a, a priest who has to intercede for us. But we come straight to you, Lord God, 
through Jesus Christ, our Savior. As we do so this morning, Lord, we want to thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us through the cross of Calvary. We thank you, Lord, for the promise that that you will walk in our lives with us, that you will journey each day by our side, that the wrongs that we do do not separate us eternally from you, but you are a forgiving God, and you remember those sins no more. And so this morning we receive that forgiveness with joy, with gratitude in our hearts, with worship filling our souls. And we ask, Lord God, that you may receive this worship in the spirit that it is given, that you may know our, our love for you and our desire to be faithful to you, to walk with you each and every day of our lives. Lord God, may your name be praised, we ask, as we commit the service into your hands, while together we pray the prayer that you taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Friends, just a couple of notices this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, for those in Bundaberg, a reminder that in next week's service will be our communion service. So please make sure that if you have at home something to take communion with, some bread, some gluten-free wafers, or <clears throat> whichever is uh, uh, your preference, as well as some juice or some water, uh, whatever you have been using uh, as we celebrate communion next week. Next week is also, we're doing things a little bit differently. Reverend Ray Nutley and myself will be here in the church for an hour after the service. So for those in Bundaberg, if you would like to come and receive communion uh, from Ray and myself, please come down to the church from half past 10 to half past 11, and uh, we will serve you communion. We will it's also an open time for prayer if you'd like to be prayed for, or maybe you would just like to come into the church and sit quietly and have a prayer by yourself. You're welcome to do that. We are inviting you to come down for that hour and, uh, and just to receive and to be here in the house of God. Also, a reminder of uh, the important information that went out in the newsletter on Friday, particularly concerning the congregational luncheon happening in September. Uh, as of this point in time, everything is still going ahead. We have, uh, we've done our homework and we'll be able to uh, hold that function. So there's some important um, information in the newsletter. And if you haven't got that, I would like to attend the luncheon uh, here in Bundaberg. Please uh, give us a call at the office and we'll fill you in on all the details. Our readings today, uh, there's three readings, Genesis chapter 5, verses 20 to 24, then uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, and then Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. So set readings for this week, and we're looking at, uh, we're looking at the subject of 
faithfulness to God, walking with God. And uh, this is where these readings come in. The first is from Genesis 5, verse 20 to 24. Now, this is a fairly... Um, it's, it's not known as your most inspiring passages of Scripture because it's actually a long lineage of people from, Am, from Adam all the, way to th- all the way through Noah. And each person is listed in a specific way, and there's a specific pattern to how it's mentioned. There's a rhythm to how the names are spoken and, and what is said. And each one ends off with the line like this. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. And so that's the context. Each one of the names ends off with altogether, so-and-so lived for so many years, and then they died. That's actually verse 20. And then it moves on to the next person in the lineage, which in verse 21 is a man named Enoch. And of the entire list, Enoch is the only one that's worded differently. He's the exception. Because his entry reads like this, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. So it's not altogether Enoch lived another 365 years and then he died. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. In the NIV, it's entitled, Love in Action. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above your sorry, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is, as, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. In the NIV, it's entitled, Jesus Predicts His Death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, 
raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their very soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of who are standing here will not taste death, before they, before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Each Sunday, part of our worship service is to bring to God our offerings of thanksgiving, our worship of Him in, uh, in the gifts that we present. We dedicate those offerings to God. If you would like to contribute during this time, the bank details are on our website and on our Facebook page. Uh, you are welcome to um, contribute electronically. And uh, if you want to drop your offer tree physically in at the office, you're welcome to do that too. We give thanks to God for the faithfulness of, of His people. And we bring those offerings in worship to Him now with prayer. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus Christ, for the many things that you give to us, for the goodness that we receive from you, for the love you give, for the kindness you show, for the provision of our needs. Lord God, for the joy of journeying through life with you, of walking with you, of knowing we can depend on you. Lord, in response and in worship and in love and in offering, we bring to you these gifts of money, those that have been deposited directly into the account and those that have been brought into the office. We offer them to you with gratefulness and thanksgiving and pray, Lord God, that as we give you these gifts, they will be a blessing to you and that you would receive them from the grateful hearts that give them. Take them and use them to build your kingdom, we pray. Lord God, we also pray for those who are in need of your touch and of your love at this time. Those known to us who are in need of prayer for whatever reason, we lift them before you. Those people who weigh heavily on our hearts, those things that we face in this coming week that concern and worry us, those issues that we struggle with, all of these things we bring to you, Heavenly Father thanking you that you're a God who cares, God who hears, and a God who answers. We pray now, Lord, that we may hear you, that your voice may speak clearly to us in this service, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us in a way that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that you have spoken. Touch us, we pray. We, your children, are listening and desire to be faithful to you. 
In the precious name of Jesus, amen. I enjoy ministers' retreats. I really do. Especially uh, the last two retreats we've held, which have been, he- um, which have been held on Fraser Island, uh, which really the uh, Aboriginal word for Fraser Island means paradise, and that's exactly what it is. It's a really tough break to have a, a retreat in, uh, in such a place, but somehow we managed it. But the retreat that uh, came to my mind this week as I was thinking about the passages of Scripture wasn't one of the two that we had on Fraser Island, but it was one that I attended in South Africa. We had a guest speaker who led us through some of the different names of God and what they meant for us as individuals, what they meant for us as a church, and what they revealed to us about God. And during one of the sessions, I wasn't actually really paying attention to the speaker, but I was looking around at this group of ministers and thinking to myself, you know what? We're not a very exciting bunch of people. In fact, I looked across at everyone and I thought, no one here is setting the world on fire. I mean, none of us had written some fantastic bestsellers. There was no one in the group that really stood out like a, like a Desmond Tutu or a Mother Teresa or, a, or the Pope. No minister who you would say, speak to him or, or speak to her. They are really the world's foremost authority on subject X or subject Y. I mean, apart from me, there wasn't even anyone who was particularly good looking. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. But seriously, you, you get what I'm trying to say. It just struck me that, that every single one of us there was just an ordinary person, a lovely person, of course, but truthfully, just a normal, quite unexciting person. And yet, as I looked around, I also couldn't help thinking about the fact that represented in that room by ordinary people were literally thousands of Christians who considered the people in that room to be their spiritual leaders and the leaders of the church. And my mind went to the thought of, how can such ordinary people be be used by God to such a great extent? Or perhaps more accurately, if God can use me and this group of ordinary people, then God can use anyone. And right off the bat, let me say that every minister in that room would have agreed with that statement. I'm not insulting anyone in, in saying that. And I have found the same sentiment to be true in, uh, in Australia. There is a continual sense of awe that God manages to use us as we are with our flaws and our faults and our imperfections. He uses us to do His work and to build His kingdom. And that is an amazing privilege and a wonderful truth. And I was reminded of this when thinking of the Scripture passages this week because the passages focus on Enoch and the basic teachings of Jesus and of Paul of what is required to live faithfully for God or in terms of Enoch's life, to walk faithfully with God. Now, it's true that we don't really know very much about Enoch at all. Quite clearly, he too is just an ordinary person but someone who was faithful to God. We know that he was faithful to God in the, in the simplest but most seemingly most effective of ways. 
Scripture tells us plainly, Enoch walked with God. That's all we really know. There are a few verses in Genesis that tell us that for, for those 300 years he walked with God. And then he only appears again later in the, in the book of Hebrew chapter 11, the great chapter of all the faithful servants. And there it is mentioned that Enoch didn't die. He simply walked with God and was no more. That is the sum total of what Scripture says about him. No bestsellers are written by Enoch. No books of the Bible or, or anything else. An ordinary person who is faithful to God. Now, looking at the life of Enoch and the simplicity of the statement that he walked with God, looking at that together with the basic teachings of sincere love that Paul tells us and the teachings of Jesus that faithful discipleship comes down to denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus, i.e. walking with Him. It strikes me that we sometimes overcomplicate Christianity. I said recently in our series on the Lord's Prayer that Jesus wasn't talking to theologians when he was telling them how to pray. He was talking to fishermen, to the ordinary everyday person. It isn't the super special stars of, of fame and fortune that God is wanting to walk with, that God is wanting to build his kingdom with. It's normal everyday people, people like Enoch. People like a group of fishermen, people like you, and people like me. It can't be that complicated. What is required of us by God? What does He desire for faithfulness? To simply walk with Him. To hate what is evil, to cling to what is good. To love sincerely, to serve others as above yourself, to be wholly devoted to God. That's what we're required to do. Not to learn scriptures off by heart or preach to packed stadiums or, or write books and all sorts of things. That may have its place, but not before we simply walk with God. Brother Lawrence, I've referred to him before. Monk who wrote a book that is thought to be the most widely read book of all time with the exception of the Bible, practicing the presence of God. He was an ordinary cook, nothing more. No special characteristics, no massive miracles, no flashy tricks. But he influenced thousands of lives, probably without ever knowing it. How did he do it? What was he doing? He was walking with God. Practicing the presence of God in every moment of his life. So what does that mean in today's terms, walking with God? In Hebrew, the phrase that is used here is an expression that means to live life according to God's lifestyle. To live life according to God's lifestyle. In the words of Jesus in Matthew, to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. To live according to God's ways, according to God's desires, according to God's plans, according to God's wisdom. That's what it is to walk with God. And to do that really encompasses three things. Firstly, walking with God means to go in God's direction. 
the very first aspect of walking with God is that we go in His direction and we don't expect Him to go in ours. That's why it's called walking with God and not God walking with us. We didn't read that God walked with Enoch. We read that Enoch walked with God. This has been God's plan and desire from the very beginning of creation. Adam and Eve walked together with God in the Garden of Eden. There's the sense of intimacy and and closeness and connectedness when they're walking together. Like a father and a child. In our series on the Lord's Prayer, we, we prayed, Our Father. Those words meaning Abba, Daddy. Intimacy, connectedness, closeness. Walking together with God. This is actually something I've always enjoyed about my parents. From a small age, basically as soon as the eldest brother was able to hold the fort for half an hour, my parents would take walks together. I knew then, as I know now, that it was initially to get away from us all and have a few moments to themselves. Sometimes if, if we had been fighting while they were walking, we were silently praying that they would come back to us and not decide that life was nicer without noisy fighting boys. We would also be praying that they would come back before dinner. But we knew that this was half an hour in the day that would be their time. Time to connect. That was the purpose. There was an intimacy. And to this day, my parents still go for walks together, often. I'm pretty sure that they've realized that we're not at home anymore. So the reason isn't about getting away from us. It's about being close to each other. When we walk in God's direction, there is a sense that we are doing exactly what God planned for us to do with this life. Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. In other words, to walk with God in his direction is in a sense the very best thing that we can do with this life he's given us. We don't forfeit our lives When we walk with God, we find them. It's through that walking together that we find life as God meant for us to live it. We begin to understand His purposes. We come to know His love. We get to understand His character. We get to share our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, our frustrations, our troubles, our disappointments, our joys, and our sorrows. All beautifully wrapped up in this analogy of walking together with God. But it has to start with, it has to be walking in His direction. Despite the theory that walking with God in His direction is the only way to have life as God intended, we still very often want to walk in our own direction. And we kind of hope that God would just tag along with us. God, I'm going this way, and hopefully you're going to be coming along. But that isn't how God works. True fellowship and intimacy with God doesn't happen on our terms, but on God's. And it begins with the simple willingness to walk with Him in His direction. Remember the rich young ruler who said to Jesus, Teacher, I'm I'm obeying all the commands. What more must I do? You see, he already knew He was asking that question because he knew that an intimacy and the connectedness that he desired in his soul 
wasn't there. He knew that he was walking with his money and hoping that he could get Jesus to tag along. And Jesus says to him, I see the problem. I see the direction that you're going. So I'll tell you what, sell all you have and come and follow me. Sell everything and walk with me in the direction that I'm going. And the man goes away saddened because he wouldn't do it. Jesus doesn't change the route that he is going. He knows what's best for that man. He knows what is needed for faithfulness. He says to him, in effect, my way is the best way. It's the only way. What good will it be if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Come and walk in my direction. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. And we may well say, but what is God's direction? It was okay for that rich young man. Jesus spelt it out very clearly for him. But what is God's direction for me? Well, we read earlier in Romans. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Keep your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. Honor others above yourself. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and, and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, friends, God's direction is not hidden and locked away in some top secret vault only for the privileged few to know. God's direction is the way of Jesus. It's the life and commands of Jesus. It's the teachings of Jesus for ordinary, everyday people like you and me. 1 John 2 verse 6, we are told, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Enoch was faithful to God because he walked with God in God's direction. And you get this growing sense of intimacy and closeness and connectedness. But secondly, walking with God means going at God's pace. I used to do a bit of running. I know you wouldn't think so, but it's true. In fact, I even managed a couple of half marathons. Whenever I trained, though, I would generally run alone. I know that it doesn't work that well for most people, but it was okay for me. In the week, I would run alone, but on Saturdays, I'd meet up with my brother, and we would go and do a park run down on the beachfront. And sometimes we would skip the run and just have coffee, but most often we would, we would actually do the run. Now, when I ran on my own, my pace was slow and erratic. If I was tired, it just kind of slowed down. But when I ran with my brother, my pace was much more consistent and usually much quicker. You see, it's actually much easier when someone running with you is fitter than you and dictates the pace because you feel like you kind of have to keep up with him. You push yourself. You run a little bit better than you actually ever thought that you could. 
Admittedly, Alan's pace was much slower, so I guess the analogy falls apart somewhere. But the point is, I had much better runs with him at his pace than trying to figure out my own pace all by myself. Walking with God means going at his pace. And much like running, we will find it easier than trying to dictate the pace all by ourselves. In reality, to walk at God's pace means that we stay in step with him. There's a sense of faithfulness and the determination to continue listening, to following and obeying Him, to knowing that He is almighty and all-powerful, and trusting that, that all of our life is in the palm of His hands. That as He invites us to walk with Him, so His pace is beautiful and right and perfect for us. An almighty God. To walk at His pace means that we don't neglect to spend time with Him, to worship Him, to read His Word, to pray, and to spend time with other Christians and to fill our minds with godly things. And to know that as we do so, we trust Him because He is all-knowing and all-powerful and almighty. While on that same minister's retreat, one of the names of God that we looked at was Almighty God. And the speaker asked us to get into groups and, and share moments in which we had experienced God as Almighty. I was really humbled by some of the stories of my colleagues. But one was of a colleague who came from a very, very poor home. Literally, they had no food, no money, uh, no clothes. The poorest of the poor in South Africa. And friends, let me tell you, that is real uh, poverty. Going to bed hungry in a little four-walled corrugated iron shack with, with old tires and rocks trying to hold the roof on in place, sleeping on a cold floor with, with hungry tummies. On top of that, he had an alcoholic father who was physically abusive, and on top of drinking them further into debt and poverty, he would take my colleague out to a tree nearby uh, the shack and with his, with his fist or with a belt or with a stick or whatever he could find, he would actually... Uh, beat my colleague, shouting at him that they were poor because he and his siblings had been born and cost them lots of money and it was all their fault. One day when the father came home and there was no money and no food, he took my colleague, his little boy, out to the tree and he beat him again until he bled. And at that stage, my uh, colleague, this little child, says he remembers saying a prayer. And he prayed that God would bring them, that God would give them just 10 rand, the currency of South Africa, just 10 rand, which at that stage was an awful lot of money. 10 rand so that they could just get food so that his father wouldn't beat him and his mother again in that day. He says no sooner had he finished praying when he saw his uncle's car drive up. His uncle lived over 500 kilometers away. The uncle got out of the car and said to my colleague and to his mum, for some reason God told me today to get in my car, drive 500 kilometers to give you this 10 rand note. At the same time, he saw the blood and the bruises. And my colleague didn't elaborate on the how, but he said that his uncle sorted out the father too. He said that with the money, they bought food. 
They bought clothes. They managed to buy even a blanket or two, got some medicine. And he ended the story by saying that the tree where he was beaten, where he had prayed that prayer, that tree was his Calvary. Because it was at that place that he first knew that God was almighty God, all-powerful God. That day was the beginning of my colleague's walk with God, trusting that God has everything in his hands and that God's pace was the right pace no matter how fast or how slow it may have seemed to my colleague because God was almighty. God is almighty. And that is enough to know that it can walk at his pace and trust that what he knows, what he says, where he leads is the best. Lastly, walking with God means that we arrive at a destination. Hebrews 11 verse 5 says that Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death, for he was commended as one who pleased God. Now I'm not saying that walking with God means that we're going to get taken out of this world prematurely. Remember that Enoch walked with God for 300 years. The destination has nothing to do with the afterlife. The destination has to do with the kingdom of God, with pleasing God. In other words, the walk is, in a sense, the destination. The closeness with God, the intimacy, the keeping in step, the progress, the joy, the faithfulness, the knowing that our lives are pleasing to God, the knowing that we are part of what God is using to, to build His kingdom here in this world. That is the destination. Do you remember from last week the ending of Dallas Willard's version of the Lord's Prayer? Because you are the one in charge, you have all the power, and the glory too is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it. That is what walking with God is about. We glorify God in who we are and how we live. We honor Him with our faithfulness. There can be no greater reward, no more wonderful progress, no better destination than that. There is purpose to our walk with God. And that is to honor Him and to glorify Him and to draw closer and closer to Him. There may be thousands of books. There may be lots of theologies. There may be many complicated doctrines and, and numerous confusing interpretations when it comes to God and Christianity. But when you get down to it, it's really quite simple. It's about a walk with God. And anyone can do it. Indeed, everyone must do it. It's not just for theologians or bishops or popes or saints. It's for you and me, for ordinary people. All we have to do is walk in His direction, at His pace, to His destination. Amen. Let us pray. Wherever you are, just take a moment to, to be in silence, To, if you are able to, close your eyes and bow your head. To picture in your mind the beauty of walking with God, whatever that picture may be for you. To pray for the desire to be faithful in that walk.
I don't know where you are this morning in your own spiritual walk. Whether you're walking on your own mission, hoping that God will join you, whether you are wandering and lost, <clears throat> whether you are not able to walk at all and maybe just sitting and weeping, whether you are trying to pull God along your way or, or whether you are faithfully walking hand in hand with Him. Spend a few moments to look at God. To see a hand stretched out to you. Grab hold of him. Take that hand. And start the walk again. Start from wherever you are, no matter how often you've started. It doesn't matter. God's hand is always there. Always wanting to walk. He knows the direction. He knows your pace. He knows the destination. Take the hand and walk with him <clears throat> so that we may also be commended <clears throat> like Enoch as one who pleases God. Amen. Friends, blessings to you this morning and uh, or whatever time you're watching this or listening to the podcast. <clears throat> I pray that you would know the beauty and blessing of, of walking with Jesus. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and with those whom we love this day and forevermore. Amen.